Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. I'm the CEO of Royal Legal Solutions, your one-stop shop for everything real estate investor related. I'm here with a good friend of mine, Greg, and he's going to be sharing us with us today a scary tale that ends in a lawsuit for specific performance. And for you guys that don't know what that is, uh, it is a scary beast uh, that you can run into and has one of the unfortunate endings of a lot of bad stories, which is lawsuits, which is why companies like Royal Legal Solutions exist. You know, a little, a little quinky dink on that. Um, Greg, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show here today. And um, can you give us a little bit of background about, uh, you know, who you are before you get into this deal and, you know, what do you have going on in your life at that time to kind of set the stage for us? I'm a real estate developer. I've been in the business about 20 years. Um, I've done over, bought, developed, and sold over $200 million uh, in real estate in my career. And um, I started out back in 1997-98 as a small remodeling contractor, just, you know, me, my truck, and tools, doing whatever I could. Did about $250,000 my first year in business and ended up building that company over a seven-year period to a $30 million company and then sold it right Right at the peak of 0405, I started about a dozen other businesses along the way and um, did my first real estate deal. It was a land flip, one of those deals where um, a friend of mine said, hey, here's this lot we can buy for 100 grand, and I know somebody will probably pay us 150 for it in less than 30 days, and I didn't even know you could do that, didn't know if it was legal. <laughs> and I, so he said, you know, I know I'll set it all up. You put up the money, and we'll split the profit. So I did. That was my first real estate flip. Uh, deal that I ever did. Uh, never knew you could do that. Didn't know that, that that was a thing. So, you know, long story short, that's how I got started. I was on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which is a resort rental market off of the coast of uh, North Carolina. A lot of big um, summer rental houses, beach houses. I was building the million dollar houses, buying hotels, tearing them down, redeveloping, um, which is the topic of our story today we're going to get into. It was a hotel property that I had purchased. Uh, to tear down and redevelop that ended up in that specific performance case. So I thought, you know, with your legal uh, profession, it would be an interesting story to talk about. That's super. Yeah, I think it'll be a great story um, today. And in terms of, you know, before getting into the the particular deal where it sounds like you tore down a, a hotel and, and, and we're doing some remodeling on it and, and re doing some construction on it, have you done a lot of uh, deals that are really similar to that particular deal um, that we're going to be talking about today before this deal? No, so that was my second deal. My first one was a hotel that I purchased, tore down, and built uh, three of the largest houses ever built in the town of Nagshead, North Carolina. Uh, that was my first project, and that one went off without a hitch. So this was the second Oceanfront Hotel that I had purchased. And what we do is we just tear the hotel down and then build these giant single-family homes back in their places, you know, 8, 10, 12-bedroom houses with pools, elevators, hot tubs, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, they're like little apartment buildings. They do couple hundred thousand to three hundred thousand dollars a year in rent uh, operating costs are similar to a hotel about 40 45 percent i mean to a multifamily property you know it's about a 40 45 percent uh operating cost so you know your your net income is about 60 percent of the gross to 65 percent of the gross to contribute towards a debt service or a cash on cash return so it's very similar but that was my second one i did about four of them in my career down there and this was the second one and and you know really interesting story and 
just a classic story. Um, you'd ask me what I'm doing now. I'm still a developer. I, I do, um, I do flip houses. I build, um, multifamily properties. I do a lot of redevelopment where I'll go in and take a building and, and repurpose it, renovate it into a mixed use or flex space or office, retail, whatever works. Um, I do ground up development. I do land development. So, um, you know, this is 21 years after I started as a remodeling contractor. I've kind of evolved now to where I hire general contractors and, and other contractors to, to do all the work. I just, uh, I'm the developer. I put all the pieces together, raise all the capital and and I help other people do the same thing. So that's kind of what I do these days. Oh, very cool. So, so with the second deal, the one that we're going to be talking about here today, um, did you have any, like a mentor or anybody else that you partnered with that was really experienced in these deals before you got into them? Or was this, um, this kind of on your own? No, no, this, this was on my own. So um, I did partner with somebody when I started building spec houses. I had no idea how to build a house, much less build a spec house. And I partnered with a friend of mine who was a developer in Northern Virginia, and he taught me how to build spec houses, how to develop land and do those things. But he did not uh, do the hotel project with me. That was, uh, I did that on my own after I'd been building spec houses for probably about three or four years. Okay. Um, so getting into to this particular deal, is there, um, what is it like when you first, you know, come across this deal? I'm sure you're really excited and, and, you know, obviously that's why, you know, why we all get into deals is because we're excited and we think they're going to be great. What did that look like um, to you on the front end? Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, it was one of those things where a friend of mine, uh, she was actually my mortgage broker that um, was doing mortgages on all the beach houses that I was building. So, you'd, you know, back then the model was you'd buy a piece of land, build a house, rent it. Uh, put it in the rental program until it sold and you know you could make 20 30 percent and those were million dollar houses so 20 30 percent was pretty good you know we were making two three hundred thousand dollars on spec houses and um so she called me up and said hey I've, I've got the opportunity to buy this oceanfront hotel it had been destroyed by a hurricane it was hurricane isabel back in i don't know 2000 i guess it was two 2003 i can't remember it was either 2001 2003 somewhere in that time frame when isabel hit and uh, the people that were operating the hotel just decided they were going to collect the insurance, not fix the hotel up and sell the property. So, uh, so yeah, it was an exciting time. The market was escalating. I was, I was young. I was building my company, building, you know, my business. I love to do those types of deals. And there was, there was a lot of cushion in it. We were purchasing the property for $4 million. It had six oceanfront lots and two uh, pieces of semi-oceanfront property that had four cottages on it. So it was worth about $6 million at the time, retail. And, uh, and that's what, uh, prompted the lawsuit and what created the whole situation was, was the, you know, the way that, uh, values were increasing so rapidly. And another little sidebar, I'd, I'd gotten my real estate license and I was a real estate broker. And when I put my signs up on the hotel property to start the project and tear it down, the neighbor next door called me and said, Hey, I noticed you bought this hotel. I've got an oceanfront lot between my house and your hotel. Would you like to buy it? I said, well, sure. I said, you know, I just paid basically what equates to 600,000 a lot over here for the for the Oceanfront Hotel, um, I'd be glad to give you 600000 for it. He said, no, I said, I want 800000 And I said, well, nothing has sold for 800000 anywhere in this area for an Oceanfront lot. And he said, well, that's just what I want. I said, well, I just got my real estate license. I'll list it for you and we can see what happens. He says, okay. So <laughs> I list the lot. 30 days later, it sells for $800,000. I made a $30,000 commission just for listing the lot. You would have thought the light bulb would have went off, you know, on that one, but, um, you know, a focus, <laughs> stick with these things. But Anyways, so that all of a sudden attracted a whole lot of attention to our, our project and, and some other developers started circling and hovering over the project waiting for us to not close on that property and a couple of them started calling up the seller 
and offering them $2 million more than what we were paying if they would kick us out and give them the deal. So that's basically what happened. And uh, um, the week that we were supposed to close, the sellers called us up and said, hey, we're not going to close on this property. You know, we're yanking the contract. We've got somebody else offering us more money. You, you know, you're out. And I said, well, we have a contract. You can't do that. And, uh, and they said, sue me. So I did. And um, it's called specific performance. Like you said, you know, when you contract to purchase a, a piece of property, um, you know, you, you have to sell. Now, you, you don't, you know, the buyer doesn't have to close and doesn't have to buy. They're going to lose their earnest money and their consideration that they put up for the, you know, op option to purchase or the offer to purchase. But, you know, the seller has to sell once you go into contract. They can't just arbitrarily, you know, unilaterally cancel the contract. Well, one of the partners in the property for the sellers was an attorney. And he was an attorney for the family for a long time. And he told them, because he was in Virginia, that, you know, based, based on some law in Virginia, that they could terminate that contract. But North Carolina, you can't. And uh, so we filed Liz Pendence and uh, it took two years, went to trial. And, um, you know, we won very quickly, you, you know, it was just hands down, the jury was out like five minutes. And we were awarded the win, but it still cost us attorney's fees. It cost us two years. And, you know, we still had to pay $4 million for the property. But uh, we ended up making a lot of money on it, and it worked out at the end of the day. But uh, it, was, it was quite an experience. I'd never been involved in a court case in my life until that point. Well, that, so it's a two-year two litigation process for you guys. Is that right? Two-year litigation process. And, and the property just used up a year. Two years, right? Property just sat there for the two years. They had collected their insurance money and they had run through three attorneys that all told them, you're not going to win this thing. And they just basically used it as a strategy to delay. So they were allowed to switch attorneys three times before they finally ended up being forced to go to court. Wow. And how much of that costs you? you? You get how much of that cost you out of pocket to be able to fight them? Uh, over the two years, it ended up costing about. I think it was close to $200,000, maybe $250,000 uh, in attorney's fees for our side. And we could not recoup that. Um, in a specific performance case, when you're the plaintiff, you know, all you can do is win the right to purchase the property. You cannot recover legal fees. At least in North Carolina, you weren't able to. Yeah. Yeah, it, really, it depends on which jurisdiction you're in. So it's two years, um, almost a quarter million dollars of uh, that goes into this. Um, and the whole time you're banking on the fact that property values are still increasing in price, right? If the, if the market would have shifted, you know, uh, you would have been with an empty win essentially, right? Cause you had a exactly. And, uh, you know, I knew that we were good at the basis we were, we were in it at, you know, for some time and what had happened there just to give you a, a frame of reference. So property in that area, that, that type of oceanfront lot, went from $600,000, which was about the going rate at that time when we contracted five to 600,000. It peaked at close to a million at one point when the market was just at its peak prior to 2009, then it dropped all the way back down to five, 600,000. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I knew we weren't going to lose money on it. Um, I just wasn't sure how long the market was going to continue to grow. And, and we were fortunate. We got out at the peak or close to the peak where we ended up retailing the lots at close to 900000 So uh, I built a couple of houses and sold those. I retailed a couple of lots. I sold the property across the street. So at the end of the day, the property made a couple million bucks. So we, we were happy. That's awesome. Did you think that uh, the other side strategy in there was just to try to see, like, if you guys could even afford to pay this much money in litigation? Because it sounds like that's what they were doing, trying to drag it out, drag it out, drag it out to 
to bankrupt you, essentially. Well, I think their strategy was that maybe we would give up or maybe we would settle because uh, they did offer a couple of settlements, you know, offer to give us our money back or, you know, attorney's fees. I can't remember what it was. I think our deposit was 25 grand or something. And, yeah, you know, so I think at one point they offered that, but I think it was more they were thinking that, you know, we wouldn't be able to get financing at some point, like you said, you know, or uh, we would just quit or somebody would die. You just, you just never know, you know, what could happen. And there were three of us that were partners in this deal. So they were moving parts there. So yeah, it was a business decision. These were, you know, it was, it was an interesting case um, because it was a, the lady that owned the property, her husband and her had bought it, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And they operated it as a motel forever. Sweet little old lady um, and her husband. Uh, and they had sold property to Walmart up in Virginia where they're from. So they, they knew, knew their way around real estate. They knew what they were doing. And, um, you know, but in court, you know, she kind of looked like the sweet little old lady. And here's this big evil developer, three developers trying to take advantage of her, right? And then she gets up on the stand and her attorney says, and you know what you're doing? You've sold property to Walmart, haven't you? She said, oh, yeah. So from that point on, the little old lady thing went out the window and, and they realized that we were the ones getting raked over the coals by this sweet little old lady. It was, it was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, that's funny, man. I was, I was wondering, um, you know, it's a really, you know, interesting story about like, what are you going through something like this, like through a lawsuit? Like, what would you say is like a, um, a, a lesson learned from, from this? I mean, one thing that that speaks out to me is the importance of having really good contracts and having like a high degree of um, professionalism in approaching your business dealings because that's what protects you when you know things would go sideways, especially when it's a really good deal. Um, you know what what would be like some of your lessons learned from that particular you know this particular transaction or story? So yeah, that that's a big one. So we had an ironclad contract. Uh, it was drafted by an attorney. Um, we performed on every aspect that we were supposed to and every communication that I had with anybody, I, I put in writing through email and I kept it. So I'm very meticulous about saving email. I mean, I've got emails going all the way back into the 1990s. So, you know, my attorney told me, you know, you're, you're the perfect client. I don't forget anything. I document everything and I tell the truth. I will not lie and or bend the truth at all. I just, I flat out tell the truth and I do what I say I'm gonna do and I document everything. So that's really what saved me is, is having the integrity, you know, to be honest about the whole situation. And, you know, we just didn't do anything wrong. We, we you know, they just tried to kick us out of the contract. So that was a pretty easy one. I had another <laughs> oceanfront hotel, my last one after that one that ended up in the lawsuit again, same kind of deal where the seller tried to kick me out of the deal. But I tell you, the biggest thing that I learned was that, you know, everybody gets emotional about lawsuits. And what I learned through the process was it's a business tool. It's just a tool to resolve a dispute in business, number one. Number two, I learned that it really does depend on the judge and the jury. I was very surprised that the judge in this case, uh, he didn't understand the case or the law surrounding it. So he just kind of picked the other firm that was against us because they were one of the major firms in North Carolina, very politically connected. So the judge I mean, literally, it was like a joke. He sustained and overruled anything and everything their attorney brought up. I mean, literally, he was half asleep. He'd wake up and say, overruled, you know, and, you know, or sustained. And it was really shocking. And you could see the expression on the jury's face when the judge would do that. It was very clear that he was trying to sway the trial to the favor of the defendant because of that law firm's political connection. And I, and I couldn't believe it. I was shocked and, you know, naive. You know, I was naive to how um, the political system or how the judicial system, you know, really works. And 
uh, their attorney told a lot, told lies, you know, lie after lie and fabricated and bent, bent things and just flat out lied. And I just, I was shocked, you know, I just couldn't believe it. And I have a friend who is a uh, retired federal judge and he's got a saying, he said, as a federal judge, you know, I always have a saying, you know, when I slam the gavel down, let the lying begin. And, you know, I just, I didn't, you know what I mean? I, I had no idea that that's, you know, how it works. And it is, I mean, there's uh, the one thing that you rarely get to in a court court of law is the truth. And that's what you're there to, to, to try to find and uncover. But unfortunately, very rarely does it happen. So if you can't get to the truth inside of a court of law, from your experience, what is it that sets you up inside of the, the court that allows you to win? Well, again, um, strong contracts and documentation. So their attorneys in both cases, the attorneys just flat made stuff up and flat out lied. I mean, flat out lied. And we had the documentation to prove otherwise. And uh, so that was that was really it. I mean, that's what I really realized was it's really amazing. It's how you know, you watch the shows on TV, the law law firm shows on TV. It really is up to the jury. You never know what a jury's going to do. And the attorneys can frame a question in a way that makes you look like you've done something wrong or that you're guilty. And, you know, their attorney was very good at that and said, and you're on, you're under oath now, like you were when you took your deposition, right? Then, you know, the deposition was two years prior. So they're thinking they're going to trip you up. But unfortunately, the facts didn't change. They are what they are. But he would ask questions in a way that would, that would make it look like you're lying about nothing. So it was really interesting. It was an interesting learning experience and it was nerve wracking at first. I mean, the first couple of days I was very nervous. First time I took the stand, I was very nervous. I'd never been through anything like that. And, um, but at the end of the day, it was an interesting process. I learned a lot. I, I, you know, I was kind of fascinated by it, but I was very disappointed in the process. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it can be that way sometimes. Uh, I used to do a lot of litigation and I still do sometimes. And uh, it's very much at the, end, at the very end of the day, it's like you have all of the legal arguments um, that you use uh, and tools that come into it. But at the end, it's, it's almost like essentially it's like a, an adult style of a game that you get to play. Right. And it's how do you play this game the, the best that you can um, from my experience into it. Um, and one of the way, one of the things that you talked talked about is like having the, the documentation in place and having this kind of um, this kind of records. Those are extremely powerful tools um, to, to be using that you you emphasize. Is that something that you'll even do with um, sending yourself like emails with just like memorandums of a conversation? Like, hey, I talked to this person. This is what we discussed, blah, blah, blah. And like just build a paper trail around what your discussions are with people. So you never forget, you know, what was discussed or what everybody agreed to. Yeah, I keep notes and I keep the final correspondence in a chain of emails. So if we're having a discussion through email, I always file the last one and keep that so that if anything is ever a question, I just I pull it up and I've got it. And in our business, um, you know, you, you really have to dot your I's and cross your T's and be careful. And, you know, I love what you do and what your practice is all about, because, you know, there's so many people that get into business or get into real estate and especially real estate. And they don't even think about the legal uh, or financial or tax consequences of the business. They just jump in and start doing deals and then they don't even think about anything. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be the other way around. I planned for everything before I ever started. So I started all my estate planning, all of my tax planning, all of my legal planning. And I used those advisors all the way through my career as I grew my business and did real estate deals. So I always had that um, understanding. And I don't, you know, nobody ever told me, I don't think. It's just the way I am. I'm just very organized, very detailed not obsessive. Uh, you know, I'm very creative and entrepreneurial as well. So I'm not like super detail oriented, but I, but I keep my records and I keep those things and I'm very organized 
when it comes to, um, you know, documenting conversations and, and hanging on to emails. It's just, it's served me my entire career. Especially awesome. with bankers. That's where it really yeah. comes in handy because you usually have to send bankers things at least three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And for some reason, it always seems to work out like that with them, with financing institutions and bankers. Um, did you, it's uh, funny, yeah. Can you send me your financials again? Yeah, okay. Yeah, here you go. I got them. The, um, for, let's see, uh, for your um, experience as being through litigation, you talked about a little bit about it being um, uh, like a almost like a business expense. It itself was a business tool to be able to use. What was the experience of being through the first time? A lot of times I hear about litigation, especially with people that aren't really accustomed to it, but you know, while it's still really sharp in their first few go rounds with it, as it being like a really um, like it's always on their mind. It causes them a lot of stress. They're always thinking about it. It's kind of like this you know, like this hangover that doesn't go away kind of thing. Was your experience at all similar to that? Yeah, yeah, it was. It's very consuming. It's nerve wracking and it's very difficult not to take it personal um, if you haven't gone through it. Because, you know, I worked very hard. I had, a, I had an outstanding reputation. And, you know, that's what was really cool was my banker's cousin was on the jury. Several people were on the jury for some nonprofits that I supported. So I was very well known in the area. I was, you know, um, uh, a pillar of the community. I was, you know, I headed up all the board, a lot of the boards in the community, volunteered for a lot of things. I mean, I company supported a lot of good, you know, charities and causes in the community. So when you have a jury like that, and then somebody's trying to make you look a certain way, but the people in, in the room know who you are, you know, that, that was, that was helpful and was comforting. But at the same token, yeah, I remember, um, my wife at the time saying, don't you ever do this again? <laughs> you know, because it, it does consume you. And it, and it took a week. You know, the, the judge had a dental appointment in the middle of it. So we, we lost a day or two. And I mean, it, it took a, it took a week. And, you know, when you're put on the stand and you're attacked, you know, the way you are, even though when you, you've done nothing wrong, but you're just accused of things and, you know, tried to make, you, you know, they try to make you look, you know, uh, unscrupulous as much as they can, even though there was nothing that they could do, it was just smoke and mirrors. It, it, it gets to you, you know, it gets to you when you take your, your reputation and your word as your bond. And, you know, I'm, I'm very old fashioned when it comes to those things. And so I did take it personal and I had to learn to let that go and realize that it wasn't personal. It was just business. They were just trying to, you know, achieve a goal. And the funny thing was all of that was during the trial, but once it was over, I was kind of like almost fascinated with law. It was almost, I mean, I could have almost gone into law at that point, especially after I saw the injustice of the process itself. That, that really fired me up. But, uh, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about it consuming you and draining you and wearing you down. It, it can definitely do that. Was that also true for like during the course of those two years or, or during the course of the before the trial itself or was that pretty easy for you and it's just the trial that was really difficult yeah it was just the trial the other stuff was fine the depositions and the waiting and you know it was just a game it was a waiting game and i knew what they were doing um the trial itself was was because i'd never never done that never been in a courtroom ever and um you know so that was and they take advantage of that you know when 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 you know litigators know that about you they they take advantage of it, use it to their advantage and uh, I'd done a lot of business deals. I was very sophisticated in business. I just hadn't been in that environment. And it's, you know, when you're being attacked and accused unjustly, it's, it's, it's difficult. 
you know, to, to not take it personal and just to understand what it is. And especially when you're not trained. So, uh, so that one, and, and, you know, the second one was much easier. You know, the second one was much easier. That one actually never even made it to trial. The judge, the judge should have ruled on specific performance on this one and, and by summary judgment, but he didn't because again, the other law firm, uh, you know, pressured him. So he, he, he wouldn't let it go to trial. The second case, the judge ruled summary judgment. We didn't even go to trial. And, uh, you know, which is what should, should have happened the first time. So it's pretty interesting. Very interesting. And, and did, the, did going through the trial and those types of procedures, did, did they take much of a toll um, just on yourself? Or did you also notice it affecting like your business or your family or anything just outside of you personally? No, not the business. I mean, the business plugged along. Um, I still took care of that. You know, it's just in the evenings at night, I, I would, you know, I wanted to be by myself and just kind of think about things as the trial was going on and it was running through my head, kind of like if you've ever been in a car accident or had any kind of a traumatic experience like that, it kind of runs over and over in your head. So I would spend each night just kind of running over the day and thinking on things and just, you know, just thinking about the whole thing. And I couldn't stop that really um, from, from happening, but uh, you know, it was only a week, so it wasn't a huge deal. And and it was only really a few days out of the week. I think after a couple of days, I, I started to get comfortable with the process, especially once I was done testifying, you know, then, then it just, it was a little easier. You know, I guess the, the most nerve wracking part was being put on the stand. Excellent. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, um, in terms of, you know, as of just wrapping up the episode for today, you know, if people wanted to get a hold of you, you know, who, what types of people are you looking to, to get in contact with and what's the best way for them to, to touch base with you? Yeah, so uh, my website, gregdickerson.com, all my contact info is on there. My cell phone is 434-326-3903. That's the best way to reach me. So I uh, am active in development in uh, single-family, multifamily, commercial. Uh, I'm always looking for investors that want to place capital into some deals, uh, as well as I do coach and mentor people uh, in their business, show them how to how to grow and scale their business, uh, do bigger deals, raise capital, get into multifamily, uh, syndicating uh, whatever their goals are. So I, I have people all over the country that I work with. I've done that my whole career. Uh, started 12 other businesses and, and I did it by coaching other people to success, uh, helping them become leaders, delegators, motivators, helping them become CEOs versus owner operators. Um, so that's kind of what I'm really good at is growing and scaling and helping other people get there. So, uh, so that's kind of what I'm doing. And, and, uh, and I'm at a point in my life where I want to pass along the wisdom that I've learned over the years through the experiences that I've had, the wins and the losses and uh, difficult times and the good times. And, um, uh, you know, from a deal standpoint, I haven't had, you know, many losses. Uh, they've, they've mostly been really good. And uh, it's just been a couple of, the, you know, uh, scenarios like we just mentioned where the deals got a little difficult. Uh, that I would consider, you know, my learning experiences and where I've gained a lot of wisdom. Gained a lot of wisdom in 2009 when markets were crashing and banks were getting funny. Uh, you know, it was a very difficult time for anybody in real estate, but I learned a ton through that process. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, Greg. And um, everybody, this is, uh, thanks for joining us here, of course. This is the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. And we're your home here at Royal Legal Solutions, your one stop shop for everything real estate investor related. Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you again here soon. That's all for this Best Deal episode. And I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one. So keep at it. 
Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.